The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. The people were filled with expectation, and all were asking in their hearts whether John might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I am baptizing you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. I am not worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. After all the people had been baptized, and Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus. Today is the baptism of the Lord, and we, uh, we celebrate that baptism uh, and meditate on it. The early church fathers kind of questioned why Jesus had to be baptized. And that should cause a question for us as well. Why did Jesus have to be baptized, right? What's the reason of baptism? The reason for baptism is to be saved, right? To be cleansed of original sin. But Jesus doesn't have any original sin. So why did he have to be baptized? What was he repenting for? Well, for nothing, right? He wasn't repenting from anything. He was perfect. And so why was he? Well, the early church fathers give two reasons why Jesus was baptized. One is to be a witness for us, to be able to say that you also should be baptized, and this is how you do it, okay? So, you know, uh, if Jesus himself is willing to undergo baptism, we ourselves also should, we should also be willing to do so. And secondly, uh, to bless the waters. So in the modern day, we bless the water before, before doing baptism. But Jesus himself, as he entered wa- the waters and was baptized, he himself blessed the waters that would be used for baptism later. And so those are kind of two reasons why. The church uh, gives lots of information about baptism. Baptism is a really important sacrament. In fact, it's the first sacrament. It's the gateway sacrament. And so we have a a lot written about it. And I'd like to go through some of the practicals and kind of theology of our own baptism and why baptism uh, is so significant. And I'd like to go through two different resources. One is the Catechism of the Catholic Church. The Catechism of the Catholic Church is this amazing resource which kind of explains everything. This isn't, I'm not trying to explain what Father, what, you know, Sam reading the scripture thinks about baptism. I'm trying to help share what the Catholic Church, through her explicit teaching in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, talks and speaks about baptism. The other resource that I'll use is uh, Code of Canon Law. And you probably don't get to use this too often, but this is kind of like the Navy instructions, right? How does it practically? It doesn't tell you about maybe the why we do it, but it tells you how to do it and how to do it well and maybe certain things that we should avoid and certain things that we should pursue, okay? Of course, I and the millennial that I used, I didn't actually use the books. I used a resource online that then printed them out. You know, I, had, I got to control F baptism and, and uh, see where it showed up uh, within it. But, you know, that's what we get to use in the modern day. This does have an index, which could have looked up every single resource, that it, every single mention of baptism. But instead, I used uh, canonlawninja.com or canonlaw.ninja, uh, uh, which is a great resource that I would highly encourage if you're, you know, into canon law and catechism of the Catholic Church and other church documents. Um, 
So, uh, starting off in paragraph 12, 13. So the catechism is broken down into paragraphs. And each paragraph is short so that we can reference that specifically and not page number, which might sometimes change. So paragraph 12, 13 says, and this is the very start of baptism, the baptismal section for the, cate- for the catechism. It says, Holy baptism is the basis for the whole Christian life, the gateway to life in the Spirit, and the door which gives access to other sacraments. Through baptism, we are freed from sin and reborn as sons of God. We become members of Christ, are incorporated into the church, and made sharers in her mission. Baptism is the sacrament of regeneration through water and the word. Okay? So there's a lot there. That's kind of the basic theology. But it's the basis, uh, it says, like, the basis of the whole Christian life. Now, a lot of us were baptized when we were little, so we don't necessarily think about it. But that is actually what started our relationship with God. Before, we are creatures of God. And we're special, right? Human beings are special because we're made in the image and likeness of God. But theologically speaking, we're actually not children of God until we are baptized. In baptism, we're adopted as children of God in Jesus Christ. Before that, we are special. We are set apart, made in the image and likeness of God but not yet children of God, okay? So that's a a huge difference. And in our relationship with God, that starts our relationship with God. And we want to start our relationship with God as early as possible, which is why a lot of the times you'll even speak to a child in the womb, right? Well, even though that a child doesn't exactly understand or able to pray, we still want that relationship to start with a child. And so that's the basis of the whole Christian life. Um, The next paragraph, or a little bit farther into it, paragraph 1257, I thought was interesting. It says, The Lord himself affirms that baptism is necessary for salvation. He also commands his disciples to proclaim the gospel to all nations and baptize them. Baptism is necessary for salvation for those to whom the gospel has been proclaimed and who have the possibility of asking for this sacrament. The church does not know of any means other than baptism that assures entry into eternal beatitude, That is why she takes care not to neglect the mission she has received from the Lord to see that all who can be baptized are reborn in water and the Spirit. God has bound salvation to the sacrament of baptism, but he himself is not bound by his sacraments. Okay, so there's a lot there. First of all, that sacrament is necessary. The sacrament of baptism is necessary, but then it kind of says not really necessary. Okay, it is necessary. It's necessary for those who know that it's necessary. For those who don't know that it's necessary, who haven't received the gospel or can't ask for it, we believe, we don't presume upon God's mercy, right? We don't presume upon it and say, oh yeah, it doesn't really matter. God's gonna, yeah, God's gonna take care of it. But we don't presume upon it. We try to f- fulfill God's commandment, which is make disciples of all nations and baptize, and baptize them. So we fulfill that, right? We don't presume upon, oh, I don't need to worry about proclaiming the gospel or about baptism. No, we don't presume upon it. We, 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 it is necessary for those who know. But for those who don't, we know that God bounds himself to the sacrament. So he says, I'm going to act when you baptize, right? I'm going to bestow grace and, and cleanse you of original sin. But he also works outside of the sacraments as well, okay? And we trust in that as well that God's mercy is there. We don't presume upon God's mercy, but we trust in God's mercy, okay? Uh, The next paragraph, 1259, talks about catechumens. Catechumens are those who are becoming, who want to become Christian, 
who want to become Catholic, who want to get baptized and are learning about their faith. And this says, uh, paragraph 1259, for catechumens who die before their baptism, their explicit desire to receive it, together with repentance for their sins and charity, assures them the salvation that they were not able to receive through the sacrament. So again, this is a situation in which we talk about we want to do baptism in its normal, ordinary fashion. However, we realize that the desire for baptism is even a start of the participation in that baptism. And so someone who's seeking it, we're not afraid of trying to baptize them as soon as possible, but we in fact know that their desire for baptism is already participating in it. And so sometimes we wait to baptize until later uh, to do the official ordinary baptism But if they were to die, we're not afraid of their salvation. Uh, The last paragraph from the catechism that I want to read is 1278. The essential rite of baptism consists in immersing the candidate in water, so kind of full immersion, or pouring water on his head while pronouncing the invocation of the Most Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now again, why does the church kind of explicitly say this? Well, because we want to make sure of what kind of the ordinary means are, right? It's something more than just a dampening of the forehead, right? Uh, which would kind of ruin the sign. The sign is this cleansing water that we see physically, like water physically cleanses. And so we want a running water. We want running water is clean water, is living water, right? And so we want poured water, either by immersion or poured over the head. And then the invocation of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So in scripture, there is accounts of baptisms by the name of Jesus Christ. And we know that some Christian denominations, different Baptists, just baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. And we would say that that's an incomplete baptism. That's not a valid baptism because the baptism uh, that we see is valid. Uh, although the name of Jesus Christ was when they didn't necessarily understand the Holy Spirit or the Trinity completely. Now that we do, we baptize in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's kind of the catechism. There's a lot more there. There's a lot more theology. There's uh, amazing uh, to learn about your own baptism. Now a little bit of the nuts and bolts, a little bit of the canon law that kind of goes into this. Canon law 849 says, states, baptism, the gateway to the sacraments and and necessary for salvation by actual reception, or at least by desire, is validly conferred only by a washing of true water with the proper form of words. Through baptism, men and women are freed from sin, are reborn as children of God, and configured to Christ, and in an indelible character, are incorporated into the church. So there's a lot there, again, kind of rehashing some of what was already talked about in the catechism, but it talks about, right, the reception, the actual reception, or the desire. It also talks about true water, okay? So this is actually one of the things that I find kind of interesting, true water. Okay, what's true water? Okay, ideally, it's clean water, right? We use clean water. However, what about in the cases of emergency, you're out in a battlefield and all that you've got left is some muddy water? Well, you use what you got, right? But what about if you've got some coffee, you know, and nothing else, right? What exactly is true water? Well, the church says true water is what's effective. What exactly that means, there's debate about it. And I I just find that as an interesting kind of little rabbit hole in some ways uh, of evaluation. It also says that there's an indelible character. So once you're baptized, you can't become unbaptized. That is an indelible character and a mark upon your soul that can't change. Once you're baptized Catholic, you're always Catholic. Even if you reject Catholicism, you still have that indelible mark. All right, now a little bit about kind of thinking about baptism for children and thinking about our role as well. Canon 855 says parents and sponsors and the pastor 
are to take care that names foreign to Christian sensibilities is not given. Okay, so what does this mean? Well, I'm not there maybe uh, when you name your child, but I hope now as you're thinking about naming your children or you're talking to people about naming their children, please, if they're, if they're Catholic, if they're going to bring their child for baptism, please, we want to be able to support them in giving not foreign names to Christian sensibility. Okay, so what might that look like? Well, Lucifer is not a good Christian name. Okay, that's going to be a countersign in the midst of it all. I would also discourage against certain God names such as Thor or other things. I know that Thor is popular. I'm not saying, you know, uh, learning about Thor or those other things, just fine. But naming your child Thor is foreign to Christian sensibilities, right? Because we don't trust in Thor, right? That's kind of naming your child after Thor, after a Greek god, or after a god, a Nor- whatever, Norwegian, Scandinavian god, is, is not, is foreign to Christian sensibility. I'd also say that giving a nonsensical name, right? A name that has no meaning whatsoever and is completely made up is also foreign to Christian sensibilities. Names given in a Christian way link us in with the past, and, and give us support and help. So ideally, one of your names, either your first name or the middle name, is given that's an explicitly Christian name, either from Scripture or a saint, is what I highly encourage to be able to do that. And we want to be able to help support other people in that. So again, I know that it's a lot of uh, kind of a, a fun uh, kind of modern trend to have somebody with a completely unique name. And actually, in a Christian sensibility, each one of us are absolutely unique, but we don't need an absolutely unique name. Okay, so we can have names uh, that are that are rude us in our Christian sensibility. The next canon, 856, says that although baptism can be celebrated on any day, it is nevertheless recommended that it be celebrated ordinarily on Sunday or if at all possible on the Easter vigil. We often wait for the Easter vigil, especially for adults coming into the church to be baptized. However, for children, a lot of the times in other churches, you'll see them often be baptized on Saturday morning. That's often because that's when the priest is free. However, here, what I've kind of set up as an expectation is to actually do a baptism on Sunday afternoon. And partly that's trying to follow this canon law and saying that we, or the preference of the church is to be ordained on Sunday or on the Easter vigil. Now, it can be celebrated on any day. Okay, it can be done on any day, but the preference is on Sunday, right? The next canon, 861, says, The ordinary minister of baptism is a bishop, a presbyter, a priest, or a deacon. However, it says, In a case of necessity, any person with the right intention confers baptism licitly. Pastors of souls, especially the pastors of the parish, are to be concerned that the Christian faithful, that's all of you, are taught the correct way to baptize. So this is, I'm going to teach you the correct way to baptize, right? We've already talked about it. True water, right? Water that's running over the forehead, over the head, right? And then uh, we practice actually the baptism and remember our own baptism every single time that we come into church, well, before COVID, that we'd put our hand into the holy water and we'd make the sign of the cross, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, to baptize, you just say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit with running water at least once. But uh, often in baptism, I do it three times, okay? So that's how you baptize. Now, when might you have to do that? Well, in the case of necessity. Now, the other interesting thing is it's anybody. So can only Catholics baptize other Catholics? Well, actually, could a Muslim baptize someone? And actually, the church says yes. Anyone can baptize validly 
if they have the intention, the right intention, to baptize. Now, why might this be the situation? Well, because there might not be another Catholic. There might not be another Christian around. But you, being able to ask for it, might also be able to receive it. Because it's ultimately not the person baptizing that actually baptizes. It's the right intention with God and the Holy Spirit that ultimately does it, right? Uh, so the other time when that might be necessary is, you know, you think about on a ship, on a battlefield. We also think about in cases of danger of death, specifically, you know, maybe a car accident. We also think about situations where children, right, are in danger of death. Maybe they're born and the priest isn't able to get there. Well, you can validly baptize a child, okay? And in certain cases, you might have to, Okay. And so we want to, again, not presume upon God's mercy and say it doesn't matter, but we want to take the ordinary means to baptize, right? And so to be able to know how to do that is important. Uh, the next canon, it says an infant or um, parents, or canon uh, 867, it says, parents are obligated to take care that infants are baptized in the first few weeks, okay? Not the first few months, not the first few years, the first few weeks, is actually what works. So ideally, you actually approach the priest and the church before the child is born to start that baptismal process, right? To start saying, okay, can I collect, what's, who's my sponsor? What date can we choose? And those other things. Uh, it's not to be delayed just because we want to have a big party, okay? The church wants us to have a big party, but it shouldn't be delayed months just to be able to have family there, Right? Because we want baptism to happen within the first few weeks because it is necessary, right? And so we don't want to arbitrarily, arbitrarily delay it for any reason, okay? It, in the paragraph two of this, it says, an infant in danger of death is to be baptized without delay, okay? So that's without delay. If a baby is in danger of death, we baptize right away. Um, the next paragraph... Canon 868, it says, for an infant to be baptized licitly, so that's kind of like the intention of the church, the way that the church intends, there must be founded hope that the infant will be brought up in the Catholic religion, okay? If so, if hope is altogether lacking, the baptism is to be delayed. So there are certain situations where people come to the church and say, I really want my baby baptized because my parents want them to be baptized, Right? Well, if there's no founded hope that that child is actually going to be raised in the faith, there might be a reason to delay it. And it's not for the case to punish the child or to, or to punish the parents. It's because when a child is baptized, there are greater gifts that are given, but also greater responsibility. And we don't want to baptize children if there's no hope that they're connected to the church. Now, in some cases, we do, uh, maybe the parents have no intentions of raising their child in the faith, but they have a, their child, uh, the grandchildren, you know, sometimes have a close relationship and maybe are raised by the grandparents. In that situation, there is founded hope that the child would be raised because the godparents are intimately involved within their life. Canon 872 says, insofar as possible, a person to be baptized is to be given a sponsor. A sponsor helps the baptized person to lead a Christian life in keeping with baptism and to fulfill faithfully the obligations inherent within it. Okay? Uh, the next canon says there is only one male sponsor and one female sponsor or one of each. Okay? So I know that in certain traditions that, you know, you name lots of godparents. That's okay. The official godparents, there's only one male, one female, or one of each. Okay? Is uh, specifically the official godparents within it. Um, the people who are, uh, the next canon, 874, says, 
to be permitted to take on the function of the sponsor, a person must have an aptitude and intention of fulfilling the obligation, the function. They must be 16 years of age, be baptized themselves, be confirmed, receive the sacrament of the Eucharist, and lead a life in keeping with the function to be taken on. Okay, so faithfully fulfilling the obligations inherent within baptism, living out the Catholic faith. And so one of the ways that they need to be doing that in order to be a sponsor is to be living the precepts of the church, attending Sunday mass. And also one of the the requirements is to be living by the law of the church. Now, unfortunately, one of the things that puts us out a lot of outside of the law of the church and what I run into a lot is people who are civilly married, but not sacramentally married. And this, unfortunately, puts it outside of, so if someone is entering into a godparents, they are helping this person live and fulfill the obligations of the church. Well, by a state of life, being civilly married and not sacramentally married, you're in an irregular marriage situation and kind of saying, well, I want to be Catholic, but I don't want to follow the rules of Catholicism. Right? Well, that puts us in an irregular situation and makes actually not a fitting sponsor for a child in baptism. And so that's one of the obligations. I know that sometimes that's not always checked or, or sometimes certain sponsors are. It is something that I specifically check because I think that it is important that a sponsor, right? We can't choose our parents and our parents sometimes, you know, like there's irregular situations. But with sponsors, we can choose. And so with that, there is a higher standard or obligation within the sponsor to be someone who faithfully fulfills the obligations of Catholicism. All right. Uh, There is an option that canon law specifically says that a baptized person who belongs to a non-Catholic ecclesial community is not to participate as a sponsor except together with a Catholic sponsor and then only as a witness to the baptism. So this does happen on occasion where a non-Catholic is a witness and kind of an honorary godparent but not an official godparent, but they do become kind of there as a witness to the baptism. All right. The last uh, section is, if a baptism is not administered by the pastor or in his presence, the minister of baptism, whoever it is, must inform the pastor of the parish in which it is administered and on the conferral of the baptism so that the records of the baptism according to the norms of Canon 877. What does that mean? If you baptize someone, tell me, okay? If you baptize someone, don't just baptize and keep it secret, right? We want to be able to record it and everything else. So if there is a situation that you are, happen to be uh, a a baptized uh, tell, the, tell me so that we can record it. All right. All that to be said, the church sets up rules around things that are important. We see that within society all over the place. We set up rules around things that are important. There are a lot of rules around baptism. There are a lot of teachings about baptism. Sorry. Because it's important. In fact, it is the most important moment in our life. Now, most of us don't remember our baptism, but it is the most important baptism moment of our life. Now, all of us weren't aware of our birth, but yet we remember our birthday, right? Because it's an important day. Well, I would, I would say that baptism is even more important than our birth. And so certainly we should celebrate our birthday. Absolutely. But I also encourage you, a really awesome practice is also to celebrate your very birthday, or your very, your very baptism day as well. That was the day that you were born into eternal life, that you were cleansed from original sin, that you were made a child of God. Jesus Christ showed us how to do that, and the church continues to teach it, and we ourselves also want to live it in faithfulness to Jesus Christ.